You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith. Today I am talking to Jamoan and this is a lovely conversation. He's he's such a funny, funny man. And uh, this is one of those rare instances where rather than seeing someone's show and then uh, hours, days, weeks or months later getting to talk to them, uh, Jamoan had just come off stage. Uh, He'd had about 20 minutes to wind down uh, after playing a brilliant sold out room at the EICC in the Edinburgh Festival. And we sat together with, funnily enough, some Guinness and some whiskey and we sat and had a lovely chat as he wound down from the show so this is a particularly uh, gentle warm and intimate conversation with a genuine titan of comedy who I mean I was expecting him to be good I'd not seen him live for years and years but he absolutely wiped the floor with us it, it was a phenomenal show and he is just the epitome of someone who has funny bones. Not to mention his very funny face, which we do talk about. So we're going to cover such diverse creative methods as meditatively staring at a blank piece of paper and, and this is true, sitting alone in a dark room waiting for funny ideas to come to him. What a genius! Like, who'd even consider that, let alone try it, let alone make it work? Um, so without further ado, this is Jim Owen. Cheers, fellow Leamington yeah, Spa, Leamingtonian. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about Leamington. Where were you? Um, I was born in uh, St Mary's Hospital, is that what it's called? Is that uh, the way to Warwick? Uh, no, well, I lived in... Uh, yeah, yeah, I was the one in Warwick, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And I lived in Leamington. So I've got more cousins, actually, in Leamington Spa than I do in, in Ireland. That's nuts. Mm. How long were you there for? One year. Oh, fuck, okay. <laughs> I just, no, that was the last thing I expected to see jump out of your Wikipedia page. No, but I, uh, I'm i the youngest of four, so the rest of my family are all... Uh, I had a sister born in Ireland, but that was the way it was. Like, you know, my father was a plaster. They went over there to work. Mm. I had an Uncle Paddy and Uncle Mickey. Sounds like a joke. <laughs> uh, but I did have an Uncle Paddy and Uncle Mickey, and uh, both gone now, God rest them. Uh, Paddy was at Ford's, and... Uh, but they called them they called them James because they weren't allowed to call Irish people Paddy. <laughs> Is that right? Paddies. And it was at a meeting that they weren't allowed to call Irish people Paddies <laughs> anymore. So I'm goes, what about Paddy? And Uncle Paddy goes, my middle name's James. So for a joke, they called them James from there on in. Auntie Mary, Auntie Carmel, Auntie Philomena, they all, they all moved to England. Okay. I had two that stayed in Ireland on my father's side. Uh, my mother's side, 
no, they all. So my mum wanted to go back, and then we went back to a town uh, in Port Stewart where neither of us were from because the university was opened. And uh, then there was work there, this thing, you know, created lots of building work. Okay. And my mum got jobs as a school teacher. She was a school teacher, primary school teacher. Okay. Um, oh, I'll tell you this story, right? I did the Royal Variety Show, and they do this thing where you have to bow at the end, and they rehearse the bow. Okay, right? yeah, I, yeah. I, and that's kind of like this. They spend a lot of time doing that. Everyone bows. It's a group thing. They do it, like, live. But I came out with homage to Lily. And uh, my mum watched the show and said to me afterwards, who was the guy you were with? And I goes, that's a comedian, Ahmed Shalili. He's an Iranian comedian. And uh, she goes, I know him. And I went, yeah, you might have seen him on TV. She goes, no, no, I know him. I know him. And then this is just before she died. And it was one of those things. I was always wrong with my mum. I was always thinking she was in the wrong. And a lot of times now I've realised she wasn't in the wrong. But I kept going, no, you don't know him. And uh, she goes, no, I know him. Anyway, my mum died. My father came on tour with me. He was here. We said, with Ahmed Shalili. And then he goes, I asked my father. And Ahmed goes, you know, I went to university in Coleraine, lived in Port Stewart. <laughs> and I said, where did you live? Old Coach Road. I go, no, you did not. You did not. What was your, do you know Miss McKeown? He goes, yeah, I know Miss McKeown. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, oh, my God, she was right. She was right. So, yeah. Oh, jeez. Tell, tell, tell me about the show tonight. How was, I loved it. I loved it. Oh, and thank I should you. say, thank you. for the benefit of the listener, quite unusually, we're recording this moments after the show yeah. is finished, really. Well, it's a nice it's a nice thing to do as opposed to just going, it's a nice way to unwind, I think, is it? Yeah, we'll, well, we'll find out. <laughs> we'll relax, but yeah. Um, How what was the show? What do you mean? Like, as in, so this show tonight, I loved it. Well, I good. loved it. And I was, with a, I was with my friend who's 60 and his son who's 18, and they loved it. And I looked out over the audience and I just went, this is such a warm... Show. Oh, like, we're all laughing at all of it. It's slightly naughty in parts. There are no victims in any of the stuff you do. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's really. Me, really. Yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm the victim. I, I mean, I just thought it was fantastic. How was that for you compared to the rest of your Edinburgh runs on your shows? Was that a typical show? Did you, did you feel no, that you was were... good? That was good fun tonight. Um, I did two the weekend, two on Friday, two on Saturday. And, um, you know, I come, I've been coming to Edinburgh now for 27 years. And I don't know if I do it in the full spirit of uh, what it's about, but then again, I don't really know what it is about. But for me, it's about trying to write and generate new material. So I come here and I think, right, I've got a whole day free. I'll just try and put jokes in. But at the same time, I feel an obligation for it to be a good show. So at the same time, I'll be doing shit from whenever. And if I can get, you know, 40 minutes of new material, that's a really good Edinburgh for me. Uh, but those take you know, good jokes are hard to come by, and uh, good crafted jokes take time, and you have to do it you know over and over again. And then you've got like so if I would say like my show was a, a list of football players, you've got ones on the bench, and you're thinking, all right, I've got to get them on because just to get the night going. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you just it's not a big night. You'll be pulling out old stuff. When I did the two shows in a row, I was just doing whatever came into my head. And to a large extent, I do still do that, just whatever comes into my head, but I just wanted to make it as funny as I can. At the same time, try and write jokes. And you've got 26 hours to draw on, right? Or 26 lots of... That much. <laughs> How much do you think you've got at your fingertips? Like, just out of interest, if someone said, right, this gig is three hours, 
You can stop as long as you want, but it's the same crowd mm. for three hours. That must be I would, I, not I, I, inconceivable. Yeah, well, I do. I would do two hours anyway, or I do so. You know, two hours of waffle or two hours like you know good jokes. Like some people will write one-liners, and that's a very hard thing to put together as a show. But I have like a, quite a number of shows that I've got recorded on DVDs. If I wanted to, I could go right. That's a whole thing. Yeah. And but what I do is I just borrow from bits and try. I really, really try and write new stuff. Like I, that, that's what's here. That's what here is all about for me. Just trying to generate, not like you know, for example, like Phil Ellis, for example, who writes a whole new show, or you know, Gareth War, who write a whole new show, like for to bring here, and you know, there'll be people you'll see, you know, uh, Mickey Bartlett and you know Scott Gibson, or all those people. You're going, all right, that's a totally, and it's a narrative. Yeah. So narrative, but I'm not doing a narrative, so I'm able to. Build and jokes because I really wanted to have a life beyond the fringe. Like I just can't say, oh yeah, I kicked ass in Edinburgh, but you know, no one's interested in it in the rest of the UK or wherever. Okay, because your shows, so are they all like tonight. They're kind of whatever occurs to you. There's presumably the same kind of new stuff that you're kicking around this year. Yeah. And then if something happens, you can go yeah. with it and, and play with it. So it's done a stays up. Has it ever interested you, the idea of writing a narrative one or something with an arc? Or is it, is that, does that, does, would that seem like a sort of an interesting challenge? Or are you I've at done a stage shows, where... I did a show like called The Cooking Show with another guy, sorry. And uh, he, you know, that was a show where you're doing lines and so they need to know what you're talking about. They need to cues. And there were loads of musical cues for a technician. But when you can do, no one needs to know but yourself. Like, mm. you can just do whatever. And the idea is to really generate material so I can go on tour. And then hopefully people come and see me go, oh, he's got a new show. Yeah. And, uh, and and it's good new bits. Like, all comics that work at it have to do stand-up spots throughout the year. I do as well. Like, I just go to a, a local club. In Melbourne, I live in Melbourne, and they've got a club there, the, the Comics Lounge, that I know really well. Yeah. And I feel comfortable there, or wherever, but mostly there. And that's a good spot to go and just try material. And how do you feel, like, where do you feel you are in your career? You kind of mentioned obliquely on <laughs> stage about, like, there was some sort of, it wasn't quite a line, it was just kind of on the way to a bit. You sort of said about, I don't know, how, how long am I going to do this? Or, or something like that. Like 27 years, that's a, yeah. that's a significant longer. body of work. There's people longer. Um, I came here f- for other reasons, too. It was like, because I lived in Australia, uh, it was the only, only month I was in the one place. Everywhere, everywhere else, you were on the road. And my career was in Australia. That's how I started. So I didn't tour the UK until 10 years ago. And uh, so coming here, I, I would get a flat. I'd get a flat that was big enough for my mum and dad to come. And uh, my sister came up with her kids. I would take my kids over and we'd all hang out for a month. And that was the real reason for coming continuously. Uh, when I first started coming, I would get uh, an okay crowd, but not really, you know, the biggest contributors to the Edinburgh Fringe has got to be the performers. Like most of them lose lots of money coming here, uh, but then I started to get a crowd, you know. But 
for doing it that long. No, normally people get do it and then their career takes off and then they don't they don't do it again. Or, yeah, yeah, right. But for, for me, I was going. This is a great place to write. This okay. is a great place to come and write a show. And what does your writing look like throughout the year? Like there was one point that, I, know, I, I can see. Books, I can books. see. I can see. Same it, as you most know. comics. Yeah, here you other shit line. I remember. It just uh, little books. Really, you know, everyone does their phone now. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So are I you do, on your phone or are you still? I do. I do everything. I do. I have to. I have to write before I go on stage. I have to write. I have to have, uh, be on a page. So when I'm walking, I'll, I've got a phone thing. I say a little mumble into that, and oftentimes I listen back to go, "What the hell is that?" But yeah, I would you know mumble an idea and then write the idea out, and then at some stage try and try it without through the show. Okay, you know, and try and you know put it in a in a bit where where a couple of things are going well, or you feel that oh yeah, tonight I can really just really have a mess around. Okay, doing two shows is kind of interesting because you're really limbered up for the second show. And are you are you doing similar stuff in the second show or totally different? Not totally different, but you know enough to make it. And also, it's like you're you're. you're like sometimes you haven't talked all day. Sometimes you go, oh, "This is the first time I've actually spoken." Really. So when you do two shows, that's uh, that's you know that's good, and it's different stuff. And what? How different is it in terms of your show and your process and how you do it? What's what's changed in you? Are you the same? Like if I saw, if we saw one of your shows now, a DVD, say it had been recorded from a show 20-something years ago, do you, do you feel like bits of your act or your approach have, have matured, have developed? Are there things you'd be embarrassed to see yourself doing then or has it always been this? Oh, I'm always embarrassed time? to hear another bank. I do, oh, God, listen to me. Oh, I think that's kind of common, really. Yeah. I think um, what I try to do is... Uh, you know, I used to do this thing where I would sit just really still in a dark room and just not even try to think of anything and just write. That would be my writing process. Yeah. Uh, it was like, suppose it was like meditation, but just like, I didn't know that was what it was called, but I used to just sit there for ages and go, right. Because good, funny thoughts, the first person to laugh at them is yourself. Like, you know, when you think of something funny and you go, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's good, yeah. So it, it kind of pops into your head from a place where you're not trying. And I found when I tried, that would shut the doors down. If I would really yeah. try and find things that were funny, that would, uh, you know, all the shutters came down and then it was like you were looking at everything in some sort of comical way. And, you know, and it's just that uh, you're going, oh, come on, this is madness doing this. You can't live, you can't live your life like this. You know, like you're looking at everything through some sort of, like, some sort of comical angle when maybe there isn't one there or and then if you I find if I just sh- shut down and just let it sort of turn up organically and and the, the judgment on it was if I laughed that first I go <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah 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 oh yeah try that I can honestly say I've never heard anyone say that technique before sitting in a darkened room yeah yeah and just yeah. waiting for yeah, yeah, yeah. Was it? Was it? What was that? What was it like to actually do that? Was it? Was it frustrating ever, or would you just sit there and go, "It doesn't matter. If nothing comes, it doesn't matter." In I worked on this. T- when I first went to Australia, I worked on this TV show called Tonight Live, and there was a room full of writers, and they they would never get anything up. They would just have this room, 
And it was like Mordor. It was just this dark room where people would just write loads and loads and loads of stuff and then talk the following night about none of their jokes being used, the frustration of it all. And I just thought, well, I'm just going to go the other way and just say, spend the whole day, the whole day, and if I can come up with three really good jokes that get up, that's way better than writing loads of jokes that don't get up. And that's where... I discovered, oh yeah, this kind of works. This kind of, and as well as that, that they, they would get me to perform them. They would get me to do these little vignette things okay. that were filmed. So, you know, there's something different about you know when you're standing up there. If you're writing for someone else, then they obviously didn't do it right. But when you're writing for yourself, you go around. I'm gonna have egg in my face if I don't get this right. So, I'd really sit and go right. Like, let's get this, and then that kind of kind of worked for me. I think I I think someone told me once. That uh, Gary Larson does that. Is that uh, right? Yeah. He would sit just looking at a blank sheet of paper for ages. That's probably where I got the idea from, if I'm honest. That's interesting. Yeah, you just, just stare blankly at this piece of paper for ages, and then, oh, yeah, one idea would come up, and if he got one a day, he was happy <laughs> with that. Because I know lots of people listen to this who are comics or who want to be comics and just in the creative process. I've never really, we've never had the advice, stare at a blank piece of paper. Do you know what I mean? But but I think there is something to that. Like you say, it's kind of meditative. Yeah, well, yeah, as well as I, what you're doing is you're opening all the shutters. Like, everything's coming in, everything's coming in, but not, you're not jumping on the thought before it's even formed into a thought. No, the way you're like, Oh, look at that ladder. Is that funny? You know, or what is that? Is that could that be funny? Sure. I mean, well, I've yeah. certainly done that. I'm yeah, sure everyone will relate it? to that. Like, oh, God, I need five minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. What can I see? How can I turn it into a thing? And it's death, isn't it? It's the, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's the death of the creative thought because if you just really stop and then look at it for long enough and then take the urgency out of having to find the funny part of it, it was... When I first started doing stand-up, that those were great thoughts because once I started doing stand-up and then having the need to try and turn out new material, it was different. But when I first started doing it, I had a job and I didn't really take it seriously. And I thought, I'll just say these things and fuck it, who cares if it doesn't really work. And there were all these daft, stupid thoughts. that I knew nobody else did material on it, but I had these thoughts, so I would just explore them. Genuinely as a thought as opposed to, is it, I'm not trying to write a bit of material. It was yeah, a thought okay. and then I thought, I wonder if anybody else had that thought and then taking that thought further and putting some sort of comical twist on that and then you go, all right, I've got an idea. Like, and people, you could tell people were relating to those kind of ideas as opposed to politics or, you know, current affairs or anything that was, you know, deep within our own life, right in front of your face, that everyone's felt, everyone's thought of, but no one's said. And you go, yeah. So, I, And I, I enjoy those things, naturally. Those are the things I find funny. The word, I just want to stay with the word daft for a minute because there is a <laughs> daftness to what you do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, some of the stuff tonight, the stuff about toast, toast or sandwiches <laughs> for the bread. I mean, it's, I don't want to spoil a bit, but it, it's just so... Like the pun, what I love about that bit is that the punchline is just you going, huh? Like, <laughs> like that. It's just such a, it's like, like everything I saw tonight, it's just suffused with this kind of gentle silliness. 
But, by, by gentle, I don't mean it. Do you know what I mean? It's, they're, but they're, I set that up as a, and she said, and then I said, you know, like comic comic and then I said the really funny thing, bro, as I said, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I, I often find myself saying, no, no, not being quick-witted. So this is Jim Owen. Uh, You can feel the warmth. (laughs) You can feel the warmth coming from him, emanating from him. He's such a pleasure to speak to. And uh, you can probably feel the slightly rosy warmth uh, in my cheeks and on the tip of my nose as uh, I become very gently drunk during this conversation. Um, Drunk on laughs? No, on alcohol. It was such a pleasure to speak to him. And um, I think this is one of those ones, a bit like the Mark Steele episode, a couple of years ago, I'm, well, God, it must be like four or five years ago, he was on the show, and a good long while ago, it popped up on random shuffle on my iPhone, and I, uh, back when I had an iPhone, right, fellow Android kids, um, and uh, it, it just, I love that Mark Steele one, he's, he so has that kind of, um, he has that sort of elder statesman-like quality, not aging warhorse, we reserve that uh, for Mike Wilmot alone, but um, uh, he just has a quality similar to Mark Steele of just his voice just draws you in and his rhythm draws you in. And it's like all of the powers of all of those things that happen in stand up, all of the kind of the shifting status of a room and a comic and the, and the, the sort of the flexibility, the elasticity of the comics relationship with an audience is really reflected in a one on one conversation whereby he just twinkles at you and sort of dances lightly through the conversation. It, it was a joy. I think I've made that clear. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Let's draw a line under that and remind you that you can go and see Jamoan live somewhere. Find him on tour. He flits about between festivals and, uh, and gigs all over the world. And it is just an education to see the man work live. His act-outs are extraordinary. The punchlines are daft as a brush. And we're going to dig into that daftness and how he gets to it and what it means to him later on. And we'll also be finding out uh, whether or not having your own TV show at 24 risks turning you into a monster. More from Jamoan in just a second. Uh, A reminder, my live stuff continues to be ongoing. Thank you to everyone that came to Tynmouth uh, and indeed the lovely Swindon Arts Centre. And uh, if you would like to find out more about where my own show, End Of, uh, is continuing to tour, then you can do that at comedianscomedian.com slash tour. You can also follow me on social media at ComComPod on a variety of social things. But do join the ComCom Facebook group with over 7,000 members. It remains an extremely nice little nook, a little corner of the internet where people are almost unfailingly polite. Certainly if they're rude, they're only rude once, he said, meaningfully. Um, But it is well policed, and uh, we have been able to discuss some fairly contentious issues. Comedy's so contentious these days. Some of the the politics that... uh, The interplay of politics and comedy... Um, we are genuinely able to have some quite long discussions in threads uh, on posts in that group uh, whilst actually listening to one another. So thank you to everyone that's been engaged in those recent conversations. And if you would like to be a part of that, just search for the Comedians Comedian podcast group on Facebook. I think it's probably, I don't know if those precise words get you there, but you know, come on, you can use the internet. You're an adult. And if you're not an adult, grow up. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? 
They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I was in Montreal, and I find it really difficult. And I said to this other comic, uh, an American guy, I go, this is really kind of stressful, isn't it? Everyone, he goes, yeah, isn't it? Like, everything you leave your mouth, you're thinking, is it worthy? Is it funny enough? <laughs> and I'm going, freaking hell, man, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. So, you know, that urgency. Um, so if you can sometimes just, I, I, you know, I don't know how to go into that, but anyway, uh, you know, uh, writing jokes, if you can relate to, uh, I I really feel if I'm the idiot, that's the way it is for me. I'm not really pointing the finger at anyone but me. Do you remember the first bit you had that you went, oh, that I found, I found the the, the thing I do. Yeah. Like, I, did you remember the first bit, like a, like a closing bit or something in the very early days, which was which was that, which was something daft, and you brought them into your yeah. world, put a twist on it, and went. That, this is I me. did this bit where uh, at first I was living in Sydney and I was working on a construction site and I had this job where I was a quantity surveyor and all I had to do was do the bill of quantities. So it was so easy, like just multiply square meter by, put the price in. You either got the job or you didn't, but you had the whole day to sit in this office and think of jokes, which is what I did. So I go off in this and then, you know, I'd, I'd never seen stand-up. I started doing stand-up, never really watched it. I had no idea what it was, but I thought, this is a funny night. And uh, I met this other comic, Bob Franklin, and he lived... I love Bob Franklin. Uh, I've yeah, been yeah. with him a few times, about three or four years ago in Melbourne. His bit about watching the... T- I don't know if you know how old the I bit know is. You bit. <laughs> <laughs> his bit about watching the TV with your dad as a kid and trying to join in with what was on the TV so your dad wouldn't notice the time. And the, is it the, was that bit about, like, cheetah, is it the fastest mammal? It was the fastest land mammal, that's right. Care for a whiskey. God, that slays me. What yeah. a bit. Oh, sorry, sorry. I was going to think about Bob. Was that yeah. who you did the cooking show with? Was that Jamal? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I see, I see. Well, okay, I didn't realise that. He was a big inspiration to me. And, um, like, massive. Like, he was on that would say to me, you should say that on stage, Jimmy. Say that on stage. And I would, like, say something to him that he thought was funny. And then he'd go, you should say that. That's very funny. That's the kindest thing anyone can do yeah. to a comic. Yeah. That thing you're naturally saying that you don't realise is funny, yeah. just say that. Yeah. Like, oh, God, you saved me. Yeah. yeah. You know? <laughs> Yeah, I remember we were staying in a flat and the, the Berlin Wall came down to us and I were showing her age. And I go, and it was all like joyous. I said, imagine, imagine you were digging a tunnel for the last six months. <laughs> <laughs> and Bobby's reading some sort of book and he looked back and he goes, ah. and he goes like, you should say it on stage. <laughs> and then it, that was like a great joke at the time, you know. That was a really good joke. Um, but yeah, I had this... Uh, um, well, I had this person in my ear, Bob, who said, say those things that are kind of left of centre. Uh, and I remember, like, I did it a couple of times, 
I went to Bondi Beach and I had these chips and I put them in, and these seagulls came up and, you know, I was just looking at the seagulls and the seagulls didn't have any eyebrows. And I ended up just writing this whole thing about seagulls not having eyebrows and then the way we interact by saying hello to each other with our eyebrows and all of this big long-winded story, all the other things that you could do, blah, 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 explain everything that we do with an eyebrow. And then at the end of it, I went, seagulls can't do that. And <laughs> that was like one of these like really strong bits. And I got on a show called The Big Gig, and I did that bit on TV, and it was like having a hit song. Yeah. It, it just... It just took a career up a gear, like really, like you just felt the difference between everybody knew that bit, and so um, yeah, I, re- I do remember that being a strong point of difference. And then you know, then off you go searching, and then the shutters come down. <laughs> when you're like that, that kind of quality, that daftness, like the fact that it's seagulls don't have eyebrows. Like, that's perfectly you. Do you know what I mean? You could sort of, like, mm. any outsider could go, oh, that resonant, we know completely what this comics worldview is. Like, you're not, you're not like a total outsider, but you've just noticed something that no one else would yeah, yeah, notice. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That thing. When you're... What's We've so- all got the ability to do that. That's just tuning into that, isn't it? Feeling what frequency you're on, really, isn't it? But daft is definitely the word. Like, I've literally sent... You know, we're at the Edinburgh Fringe, and I sent a text to my mate. You know, what's daft? What have you seen that's daft? <laughs> and then I would just go along and see the daftest thing I could. That would really, you know, no, nobody's got an axe to grind. No one's got anything to. It's just in the almost childish, really. It's like a childish sense of humour. And there's something about your physicality, and sort of specifically your face as well. You have this incredibly expressive face. Yes. Like I think, as a comic, that's one of your superpowers. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like that's one of Super your. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. I, you know, you would hit the play on it, but yeah, I do. I have definitely, definitely got a robbery face. I, that's your word. <laughs> I didn't mean to say yeah, it was a robbery, yeah, yeah. but a lot of your punchlines are kind of like the I. We're seeing you react to stuff. When we said there's no victim, you're the victim. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's your hesitancy. It's your. It's it's kind of clownish. Yeah, yeah, in yeah. A, in a, I mean, in a very positive way. You know, it's. Like, no, you, that's what you did. That's your background. A, a little bit. I was always a shit clown. I was a street performer, really. It was kind of circusy, but mostly verbals, which then right. turned into. Stand-up. But people, people from that background point out physicality. Yeah, like, well, I, okay. I, like I was totally unaware. Like I wasn't really doing it from that point of view. I thought I was saying words. And then, you know, other people go, you, you're, you're a clown, really. You're clowning. And I went, what are you talking about? I'm just, you know, doing yeah. what I do. Well, I think that's it. That's, I mean, I think that's a lot of people in, in kind of contemporary terms. Clowning is sort of just getting in touch with yeah. the audience. And that, I mean, that, again, like the fact that your shows aren't heavily scripted, yeah. it's about us you know, the little bit with that guy's stick tonight was so daft. It was yeah. so, do you know what I mean? Someone had a stick, you took it off him, you played with it, you gave it back, and when he went to take it, you whipped it away. And yes. do you know what I mean? In the hands of someone else, that would be kind of mean or basic or something. But you, it just it just was so silly and gentle. And like, God, he he came up and talked to me afterwards. He? he brought his family up. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, because he really laughed at that when I yeah, did yeah, that. Totally. And you're thinking, that's borderline. Yeah. But that, talk to me about that connection with your audience. And when it works and when it doesn't. I don't doesn't. know if I'm that good at it, Stuart. I, mean, I kind of, I try to do it more. Uh, I try to just not pick on someone, ask them their name or 
what you do, where you're from. So avoid all that, but just try and look at them and then just try and see if they're up for looking back at you and having a bit of a laugh. But as simple as possible, like, keep it really, like, don't, like, where do you get that from? Like, avoid everything, just, but just see if they're up to talking for looking at you, and then something comes from that, you'll often, you just get something. But it's more that, that and nothing else. What I just said there, that's it. If you look at them and you just go, all right, hey, hey, you up for a laugh? You up for a laugh tonight? That's it. I, I, I get what you're saying. I kind of want to stay with it because I know what you mean. It is. It's the opposite of going. Your your crowd yeah, no. work. It's it's not crowd work. It's not asking yeah. questions at all. Or it's but, not going. Let's let's everyone laugh at this bloke. Sure. Yeah. There's it's no. Going, you're up for a laugh. You're up for a laugh. You're, they're just looking at individual people. Are you up for this? Yeah. That's it. That's yeah. like a really like you. I mean, that's very clowny. You've kind of taught yourself that just because it's naturally what occurs to you. Yeah, yeah. As you do in a story, as you, when you tell a story, you look to see if people are engaged, you know. Is anyone listening to this? Anybody? Anyone? Anyone? Okay. You just look around the room and uh, maybe I could do it better. I, I, think, I, think I went to New York and did this show in a theatre and on the second night I got nobody, like maybe 20 people and it was really hard work and I thought, I've got to do something about this. So I walked out and shook everyone's hand and like, looked at them and did just did a bit of that and it made such a difference. Just I couldn't have done it on a normal gig, but because it was an intimate gig and I was like just giving them a look, going right, come on, let's have a laugh, let's have a laugh, and it, it made it different. Giving them giving them the look and what you did, you just kind of flashed me. It was a yeah, shame yeah. we didn't record that, <laughs> but you just flashed me the look, yeah, yeah. and immediately that just switches yeah. me on and makes me inclined yeah. to. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, like yeah. there's are there times when you're not feeling it and you do the look and you're like, oh, fake the look. Do you know what I mean? Is there anything like that, oh, or is it? No, is it always I'd rather there do the, I'd rather I'd rather give it everything to get there than walk away thinking that was a terrible night because I wasn't in the mood. Like whatever. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I've never experienced that thing where I just haven't been in the mood. I've always it's always lifted me up, and then let's get this thing going. And the feeling from getting it going has taken me out. It's the worst feeling walking away, going, "That was a shit night," and that was a shit night because you didn't care or you didn't, you know, because you yourself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, you know, I've never done that. I've heard it from other performers. There was a documentary I was watching about. Marvin Gaye, and he goes, I just don't feel it tonight, and then just walk away and not do the gig. And, um, that sort of rock and roll thing where they just go, yeah, I'm just not feeling it, walking away. You'd never do that, you know. As a comic, even if there are two people in the room, you go, nah, I'm not doing that. No. I did a tour, and I had about three or four people every night through the UK, and I had 50 gigs. And, you know, it was... Three or four people? Yeah, yeah, every night, that was it. You know, just like right through... October, November, right into December, uh, you know, it was miserable, miserable. No, Three or four people, yeah, and, yeah, you, yeah. and you did the tour. I did it, yeah. Uh, well, what do you do? What do you drive there? And they go like four or five people, whatever it is, paid to come and see you. All right, we'll do it in the um, in the lobby. <laughs> but man, I was like, I was, I was made a steal at the end of that. Like, there was no, like, I was indestructible. There was nothing you could do or say to me. They would just put me off, like, you know, you walk in. These people are all drunk, and like, whatever, I don't care. Let me at them. Just let me at them, because you don't know where I've just been. You know, like, you come back and just go, ah. I definitely got something out of it. 
you know, it was like that, those things they talk about character building. Yeah. So, you know, you've driven there. You don't know until you get there how many people are going to turn up. What are you going to do? Uh-huh. Not do it? Like, of course you're going to do it. And then when you do it... I know so many comics who would not do it. The fact that your apprehension of it is like, of course you're going to do it. Like, that's inherently you, I think. No, I would absolutely... uh, uh, Sometimes I put more into a gig where no one turns up than I do when it's packed. Have you ever ever had to do a show when you've had bad news or a row with your wife or something My my mother died and uh, I had to fly to New Zealand uh, and my father wasn't well and it was really difficult leaving him uh, but when I did the gig it was such a great focus point like I didn't really it was only at the end of the gig I went oh wow you know I'm sure I'm not alone there there's a lot of people mm. in everyday life that have that go on like go to, have to go to work uh, or whatever and keep it together for that period of time. And it, it, if anything, it's it's good having a gig. You know, yeah, I've, I've had other sort of, like, issues where I've had anxiety attacks. I saw a girl get, yeah, get run over, and then I got this real bad anxiety attacks. And I found that the gigs were a good thing to actually, you know, mm-hmm. the real focus. Um, my show's called Rambling On because that's what it is. You ramble on, but when in your day, but when you do the gig, you've actually got that level of concentration that uh, that's a good thing. How do you deal with it after the show? Like, how do you how do you deal with the, the disparity between having all of that focus of hundreds of people and then you're rambling and you're playing and, uh, then, it, um, and then it ends? Here's interesting, Edinburgh. When I tour, I normally drive to the next place. Straight away. Well, I drive back to Lambton Spa. Because <laughs> my sister... <laughs> Sorry, this is, um, this is... I don't think we made it clear at the beginning. I grew up in Lemington Spa. Yeah. The idea of you even being in Lemington yeah. Spa is preposterous to me. Well, so it's so central. It's so, so, that's why we live there. My dad yeah. used to work on the motorway. Yeah. So he wanted somewhere you could be oh, anywhere in the country. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember that song, the JCB? Yeah, song? I do, yeah. Nisloppy, they were from Lem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, well, my mum taught... The, the father. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we were all told about the song because, uh, you, you know, my mum said, you know, I, I taught that boy. Where did school. you, did you, where do you drink in Lem? Do you ever go to any pubs in Lem? Uh, the Cricketers. The Cricketers, I've been to the Cricketers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. I thought you were going to say the Woodland Tavern. For some reason, I've had you down as a Woodland Well, do you know the Star and Garter? Yes, it's changed now, hasn't it? Right, well, the Star and Garter... A friend of mine. The star all the time. I'm sorry, that's ridiculous. The star and garter. Uh, this all links back to comedy, so it's not wrong. <laughs> oh yeah, this trust is me, trust this, me. Trust this, me. Trust this will me. be extra content for subscribers. A mate of mine, he bought a pub in Sydney, in Melbourne, called the Star and Garter. He bought it and he named it the Star and Garter, or it was called the Star and Garter, okay. and that's why he bought it because the Star and Garter was in in Leamington. And uh, and it was a criminals pub, full on criminal pub. I turned up there on the first day. I go, how's it going, Steve? He goes, it's a nightmare. It's an absolute nightmare. They're all villains. And I said, I looked over, and all these guys are in uh, suits in the corner. They're all well-dressed, and they're drinking heavily. And I go, they look civil enough crowd. He, go, he looked over, he goes, they've just, they're just out of court. They were on a oh. bank robbery charge, and, and they've got off. They all got off. Anyway, they all turned up again, and this place was a nightmare. But I lived above it with Bob Franklin. Okay. And we ran a comedy night. 
And we started a comedy night, and they got rid of the pub. They sold on the condition that the comedy night stayed. Okay. And then the next group of people, they sold on on the condition. So we kept the comedy night. It was a Thursday night. And I would run it. Bob would run it. You know, it was a great place to write material. You'd go there. You'd have to work up stuff, MC it. And then this went on three or four times. So the last guy that bought it, Tony, he bought it. And then he moved the whole thing to another place, which became the Comics Lounge, which I mentioned okay. earlier. So the Comics Lounge, they have a birthday every year, which is the November the 18th, which is the birthday of when we started it at the Star and Garter. So that's <laughs> that's that's the night of, you know, and that's probably why I feel a connection with the place, because that was the room that we started. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. I think the value, having a room that, that you feel is your room, that you feel like... Yeah, 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 is, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. You own the place. Yeah. Your relationship to us, to the audience, who is your audience? Because there were people, I mean, there's, they're kind of an older crowd here. Yep. You've been coming for a long time. It's a local crowd. i got the weirdest demographic. All comics say that. Because you know, it's from young to old and... All night. comics say that you've got the weirdest demographic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. Comics come to my show. That's the first thing. Freaking hell, where's your audience from? <laughs> so, I I don't know. It's because it's not really offensive that you can think kids and you can grown ups can I get it. So, it has this uh, thing that that sort of appeals to different age groups and different. Yeah, and then I was on the UK and doing different TV shows. So I think I've got an audience here now. So. Yeah, you're sort of, um, like, I th- I've been coming to the festival for 26 years, not quite really? 27. But uh, I remember, I must have seen you very, I feel like I saw you here like 15 years ago or something. I saw you in the Spiegel tent. Yes. In what's now the Assembly Gardens, used to be the Spiegel Garden. Yes. And I remember thinking the same thing then. These are people from all over the place. And I remember, I felt like you were famous, but I, I felt at the time, years and years ago, I felt like I, I wasn't a comic at the time. I, I felt like I hadn't heard of you. Like, I didn't know who you were, but I knew you were famous. It's yeah. like you occupied a strange kind of, oh, I've never seen him before, but I know he's famous. Because I guess you got, you kind of took off in Australia. Well, it was nothing but Australian people when I first came. It was like, are any Australians in tonight? And that would, that would be it. It would be nothing but Australian people. So uh, now it's like a splattering of them. Yeah, tonight was a classic example. Yeah. Many English people were in. Loads of English people were in. Yeah. Loads of Scottish people, but a splattering of Irish and a couple of Australian people. And the Australian people were very proud, I think, they did a bit of ownership. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I had... When I started doing stand-up, uh, when I was in my 20s, 20, 23, uh, and then when I was 24, I got given a TV show. I had my own TV show. 24? Mm-hmm. Did you, did it, was it all good? It was just like, it, a, just like a massive, it was just a freaky experience. And it was on prime time and it was reading well. And If I'd been given a TV show when I was 24, I'd have been a monster. It would have turned me into a monster. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, I think I was a little bit of a monster. Were you? Were you? <laughs> yeah, I, st- I stopped drinking for a, quite a long time afterwards. I, like in the mid-30s, I just thought, I can't do this. Because you were going hard. Yeah, it just, it just took you out. You were like, wah, you know. Like, and then I just had a couple of kids. Oh, my first kid, I went, oh, yeah, I just got something's got to give. I would hate to look back at this period and go, I went too hard. 
Sometimes mm. you'd see bands, you'd be on TV, and you could see, oh, the wheels are coming off. Yeah. Oh, this is all going to go tits up in a minute. Did you have an internal sense of that? Did yeah, people yeah. People from the outside going, you've got to calm down, or were you going, I've got to calm down? Yeah, I think, oh, people are probably saying to me, you know, all the time you've got to calm down, but you, when it's, you hear it yourself, people can say to you, calm down, just in one ear, out the other. It's you that has to say to yourself, you have to go, right, keep this between the hedges and sort of wise on. I feel like that's a kind of, um, I feel like most successful comics are either teetotal or they go too hard. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. it's because of the, I don't know, it's the all the love and adulation and then you finish up. Or no, street performers, I find you, historically, some of the ones I know, with all due respect to the art, I find that your job doesn't need you to be sober apart from that hour. Yeah. And actually you get rewarded for being the life and soul of the party. Yeah. That can be a really slippery slope. Do you know what I mean? I'm quite glad. Like I never, I never have any anything to drink before I work. I'm often driving to and from gigs. Yeah, I actually, always... that's the thing you were talking about, the lemon and spa thing. Like that would keep me on the straight and narrow. Yeah. But when you come off stage uh, and you've given it everything and it's picked you up, uh, and then you go back to a hotel room on your own with a minibar, uh, uh, you know, I have to find a distraction to stop me drinking. And I'm sure loads of people are like, I'm definitely like, like, we're all in the same boat. It's all trying to keep the, because I can't, like, if I'm one of those people, like, I'd be better off not drinking at all than trying to have one drink and leave it at that. Yeah. But from not drinking, I realised that if I could get through from 7.30 to about 10 o'clock, I was fine. I was fine. You know, once I got through, you know, I'm never thinking drinking through the day. But if I, in that evening time, after doing a show, if I could get through that period, the, the notion had gone. And watch something good on TV, oh, yeah, yeah, it's gone out of my system, so it was fine. Do you... I say that now. We're drinking Guinness and uh, yeah. Tamnavulin at the moment, which is a Speyside. I don't know where somebody could be that in the flat. Oh, no. It was lovely. When you were talking about Edinburgh comics, you mentioned Phil Ellis, Gareth yes. War. Uh, big fan of Phil Ellis. Yeah, big fan of Phil. Big fan of Gareth. Um, yeah. Uh, and th- th- those are quite, like, you're obviously, uh, do you know those guys because you're getting out and seeing fringe shows? I only, met, only saw here? Phil here through uh, Fags, that fun and games for kids, and then someone took me to that, <laughs> said, this is a really good show. And then another couple of Irish comics, they pointed out, you know, uh, this other show he did the year before, and they told me about it, oh, yeah, that's great. And uh, and then I went every year to see him. Have you seen him this year? Yeah, I've, I've seen him twice. Seen, I've, I've not seen, seen him yet. I've heard it's another, another yeah, yeah, yeah. breakthrough. Another breakthrough. Yeah. And then Fags, I saw Fun and Games for Kids, when it was, like, uh, they did it for the last time, and it was packed. And you just go, oh yes, that's the joy. Um, that's the that's what I'm talking about. That daft thing. He encapsulates that daftness that I'm out hunting for. And do you see lots of other stuff here at the festival, or do you? Yeah, I don't like too messagey stuff for people who've got you know their own personal crisis that they're dealing with, and you know their own uh, race problem that you know it has to. Be, you know, I just can't be having any of that. But I do really enjoy. That uh, you know, clap your hands. Oh, it's just daft. It's just really, you know, just a really fun thing to watch. 
you seem to have this quality that I think I always, whenever I'm describing the quality to someone, I think of Bob Mills. You know, Bob has that quality whereby he gets the audience, they get him, he knows what's important to them. And it's one of those things that you only get by doing it for years and years and years. You understand what's important to an audience. You know what their preconceptions are. You know what they're worried about. The fact that during your show, not to spoil a gag, 20 minutes in, you go, have you looked at your watch yet? (laughs) Oh, God, it killed me. Because I sit in comedy shows looking, you know, going, can I look? Is it safe? Can I? I'm loving the show. I see hundreds of shows. And I just, you know, I always look at my watch. But the fact that you know that and hit it and refer to it, you get us. Do you mean? Like incognito. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God rest him. That opening line he had about, I'm not the best comedian you're ever going to see, but I am the best in my price range. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Like that, it's like a meta understanding. There's the gig, there's you and us, us, and then there's also this understanding you have of actually what's what's really important. We went to... Bob Franklin and I went to Kilkenny to do the cooking show. And Bob had been doing stand-up in London for five years before he went to Australia and lived in his flat. And that's, you know, I met him. He was living with these two guys from Belfast. And then we lived around the corner in Bondi. And then, uh, so he had this history of everybody in the circuit. In fact, the first gig I got... uh, I'd lied to the lady. I said, I've been doing stand-up for five years. And she goes, have you got any stuff? I said, I've been doing it in London for five years, because Bob had. And, <laughs> uh, and she goes, can you send me some stuff down by fax? So Bob says, I've got this stuff with me, with gigs with Paul Merton and different other people, Jeremy Hardy. And uh, I, I, I so photocopied that, and I text <laughs> I did pick Bob's name out <laughs> and I wrote my name over the top of it oh and then God. sent that down and they accepted that. And uh, This is your, your first gig? Yeah, so I got three weeks. I'd only, been, I'd only been on stage three times and they booked me to go and do the support and, and uh, I had three weeks holiday. I took Bob with me, both of us. I said, Bob, you want to come you know, and do these gigs in Melbourne? We were living in Sydney. Anyway... Uh, we were sitting at Kilkenny and breakfast and Cognito comes up, fucking Franklin. That's how he said it, <laughs> fucking Franklin. And I had heard about Cognito and I, you know, sort of, uh, you know, he was a liability, really was a liability. <laughs> he got that free, he'd always say inflammatory things to you. Where'd you get all those jokes from? Who'd you nick them off? Who'd you nick those jokes from? <laughs> and they just, what, what are you talking about? And they look at you and laugh. But I went and saw him in Kilkenny and I, I said, Oh my God, that was just proper. It was one of the, I don't know if it was always like that. I'm sure he'd go in his hole. But, you know, on that night, I went, oh, wow, wow, that was wild. That was a proper, you know, you don't know what's going to happen next. And it yeah. was just a good, crazy night. Anyway, that's an anecdote. From but do you see what I mean? Like, like that quality that Cogs had and the quality that someone like Bob has, the quality that you have, you kind of get. Do you see what I mean? Do you. Do you I suppose what I'm getting at is that joke about have you checked your watch yet? It's almost like that joke is in a different category to the rest of the act because it's a joke about us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely, yeah. Those, if you can yeah, put your, uh, put yourself in their shoes or understanding of maybe they've seen two or three shows or they've had a hard day, anything that you know they can do that is a good joke. Is it's that really, something... And it travels. It's a human experience, really. It's not really about your political point of view or your lifestyle, or 
it's about living a life and being bored. A lot, I mean, a lot of my stuff is about being bored or just trying to stay with it or, you know, keep your concentration going. I'll tell you another little quick story about uh, my second time or second or third time at Edinburgh. I went to the Gilded Balloon and there was that uh, Perrier party where you're in the front part of the Gilded Balloon. It's now burnt down. But everyone was in a holding pattern before they opened this room where there was balloons and free drink. And, you know, everyone was there. Eddie Izzard was there, Frank Skinner. There were all these big celebrities there. Uh, And then Colin Hay from Men at Work was there. Mm. And there was this really drunk guy, really, really drunk guy. And uh, he kept falling to people, but then would say something to you that was really quite smart, and but then be seconds later be really annoying. Went up to call like dee 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 dee, like just being pissed, singing one of his songs in his face. And uh, you know, I think Stephen Fry was there, and you know, he was over annoying him. Or and then he was standing next to me, and the doors opened, and uh, you know, he anyone who doesn't have a ticket has to leave. And I got two tickets, and I said to him, "If you can straighten up for two seconds, I can get you in here." <laughs> Just like that, he just looked at me like, I could do this, no problem. <laughs> and I, well, two of us walked in, I walked him in and then just let him go. <laughs> he destroyed the night. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a punter? This is a random... a punter, yeah, he was oh, a punter. Oh, I, I just thought let you were going to say, and that man <laughs> was Patrick Hilton. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> no, I was just a punter. And he destroyed the night. <laughs> uh, anyway. How do you... I've got, to, I've got to put this in the right way. I've, I've been doing stand-up for about 14 years, but I've been coming to the festival for a long time, and I've seen it change, and I've seen it mutate and grow into this. Like My preoccupation this year is just about how I just feel everything has been chopped up and sold. Everything's got a big drink sponsor, and every time there's a, every time there's a bit of street or a bit of garden or a bit of green space they put a fence around it and put a security guard and put umbrellas with the name of a drink on it you know what I mean it's like it gets chopped up and similarly I suppose within comedy we all go through a process of going I'm I'm the new act on the bill oh now I'm the opener now I'm the now I'm the the headliner or the compare and there's there's a point I remember at the Brighton Comedia a couple of years ago I was in a room with people like Paul McCaffrey and Jimmy McGee and I kind of went oh it's us we're the whole bill. All of those people that started together, and we're now, none of us are the new kid anymore. We're the, right. we're the bill. I suppose the question is, what's it like getting old within comedy? What's it like going from your 20s to your 30s to your 40s to your 50s? Well, I said that to you. I say, I say on stage, I just don't feel that I'm old. Like, I just think I'm 26. I really think that I've still, I've still got it, you know. Sometimes with a hangover or you've had a, two shows, you just don't, you know, the same energy. I played football, did my hammy. You know, I see myself in the mirror. I start to realise, yeah, I actually am getting old, but it's, it's kind of like a fresh memory being young. It's kind of like a yeah, close memory. So it's, it's not like a distant memory. So I just, I'm just really not accepting it, I don't think. And how is that in the I don't think of- I'm ever going to really accept it. I don't think I should. I just... Uh, you know, I'm not, they're just getting younger, these kids. That's all it is. The police are younger now than they ever yeah. were. And when you get stopped by the police, you go, you're just a kid, you know. <laughs> but not, it's not that I'm getting older, you know. 
if you're getting younger, dresses see. are getting shorter. Shorts are getting shorter. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> yeah, too, right. <laughs> Shorts were never that short when I was younger. I preferred leaving stuff up to the imagination as opposed to that. And then you're looking at all these people and then they're the age of your ch- children and you're going, that's what Well, it really this is it. What, how is that compatible with, you've got four kids. How old, you, how old is your youngest? Uh, seven. Seven. Okay, so you're still parenting. Yeah, yeah, you've not got four grown-up kids, you've got four kids. I've got an 18-year-old. Okay. How is her on the phone. How is that? It's always trouble. I know. <laughs> oh, God. How, how does that fit with, I don't feel old? Like, can you still, I say this as a 42-year-old man with two young children going, God, I've gone grey and I haven't got any energy left anymore and hangovers kill me now. Yeah, I don't know. How is it to feel like, hey, I I still feel young in an environment where, in an industry where it's just constantly full of new blood all the time? Uh, The only difference, I think, is that I felt young and I was young. Now I feel young, but I'm not young. (laughs) (laughs) I just think I'm young, but I'm not young. There's just one thing that's changed. That's all it is. <laughs> Me in the mirror. Oh, my God. Go home. Go home. Do you have any... Is anything difficult about comedy for you? Because I, I feel like in talking to you, having seen the show, you smashed it, you, you got us, we got you. Everything you said was funny. That cheese and onion bit, I was crying. <laughs> I was crying. <laughs> is, is any of it... Hard. Is there, are there any kind of long dark nights of the soul? Are there any? Uh, have there ever been? Have there ever been moments where you're like, I'm, I'm not doing what I feel like I could be doing. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm very, you know, do these things as you get older. Like, I don't really have any guru like Jesus or or Buddha or, but I have all of them. I like I sample of all of them, and there's always those words of wisdom like be grateful. And then you go, yeah, that's really important. So I get an audience. The fact that I get an audience, I'm very, very grateful for that. And that really inspires me. And and I don't think I do an honest day's work in comparison to, you know, growing up in construction and seeing where a lot of my mates come home and you go, yeah, yeah, you're turning it in, you're turning it in, you're up, you know. So I went from working six days a week on a building site to doing this and... Uh, the thing I've had to find, and I still really haven't found it, is those internal restraints. Like, I, you know, sometimes you have to, you, you, you couldn't go out drinking because you had to get up in the morning. You didn't have the money to do it. You know, you didn't, couldn't, you know, then all of a sudden, I didn't have to get up in the morning. I can have the money to go out and drink. You have to find this internal restraint. And that was a really difficult thing to do. Still is. That's a, that's a have bad. you done it? Have you found no, that restraint? No, I've found tricks driving back the limits, man. I find things like that. I try, you know, little things, try and structure my day. Uh, and uh, But, you know, stand-up that I do, it's you know, it's a freaking weird gig, this. It's like a really tricky gig to make a quid at at times. And, you know, to have kids and to have a family and have that being the source of everything. Mm. We're in a, a place where loads of people work and uh, we're doing exactly the same. We're just trying to find uh, a way of making a living telling jokes. So, you know, the original question, did I doubt it? No, I'm grateful. I'm, gr- I'm grateful. Uh, 
I have moments where, you know, we're all trying to achieve more. Uh, but you also at the same time think, oh, I'm still getting away with this. I'm still getting away with this. Freaking 30 years into 31 years into it. I'm still getting a crowd, still able to come to Edinburgh, pull a crowd. So very thankful. So I never know how to ask this question, but I think it's a really interesting question for anyone, not just for you, for anybody. You are as successful as you are. Why aren't you more successful? Mm. Given the, the years you've put into it, I say that about a lot of comics. Oh, 100%. And I would ask this of a lot of comics. I don't mean, why oh. <laughs> Why aren't you most successful? But I'm just really, like, what do you think, given the enormous success that is possible? Like, yeah, you've done arenas, right? Have you done... Yeah, like you've yeah, done, yeah, you've done, done big, 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 big rooms. Yeah, big yeah. stuff. Like, given that I the sky... I really is... to five people a night for three months. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll probably go back there again. I don't know if I'd stop doing it. I'd, I'd still persevere with it. Some people, some people appeal to a broad audience. Yeah, and that's just the way it is. Uh, you know, but we, but you appeal to a broad audience. But some people appeal to a really broad audience. You know, okay. like Kevin Bridges, for example, appeals to a massive broad audience. But I think, in some ways, Billy Conley carved a path for him. Mm-hmm. So you know, and I'm so glad. You know, you know, I enjoy, I enjoy Kevin Bridges. I'm, a lot, you know, I'm bitter about a lot of really good comics. Are you? Oh yeah. Are yeah. you? You seem so happy and humble and in touch with it all. No, I'm not overly bitter, but sometimes you go, yeah. But you know, anyway, um, not to get into that. You know, it depends what time of day you get me. You go, nah, that freaking, what <laughs> sure. is that about? But, um. I'm so glad that I started doing stand-up in Australia because I didn't want to talk about Northern Ireland or the politics. Mm. And then when I was in Northern Ireland, you see a lot of comics talking about Northern Ireland and that would get big laughs. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it just didn't have that broad appeal. Mm. And then you'd see another comic who would be uh, from a certain area really appealing to those people, uh, but not really... And, like... Kicking ass, but just not getting that broader audience. Yeah. Uh, and in some ways, it's kind of like a wee bit ageist stand-up. Like, like I see, uh, like I'm a big fan of Big Gary Little. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I enjoy. Funny. I enjoy any comic that represents the area they're from. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy. If anyone like, I go right. This is the best way to touch base with the place you're in. If you see someone from, you know, Cornwall, it's tapping into that. Yeah, going, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is what I want to see tonight. And in some ways, that's what Northern Ireland or Dublin or anywhere. But you want it, to, if, if you're trying to find a broader audience, uh, you know, I, I didn't feel the, the time that I, from Northern Ireland, really wasn't, you know, my accent's kind of, kind of sinister. <laughs> <laughs> English people. I think you've got the most friendly Northern Irish accent I've <laughs> ever heard. I don't know how you can... That's fascinating that you would consider that's that what I loved element about, of it. That's what I really loved about Billy Connolly, was yeah. the fact that, that his he was talking in his own accent, and he was unashamedly 
And then you were totally aware when you heard him that everyone talking on TV at the same time was not talking in their own accent. Everyone yeah. was was like like getting their photograph taken. Do you know the way people get their photograph taken and you're just not being yourself? Yeah. That's what everyone was like on TV. Yeah. Except for him. Except yeah. For him. You're going, yes, you're being yourself. That's like when um, when artists, from, musicians and singers, bands from the UK stopped singing in American accents. I used to like metal. I used to like Def Leppard. It right, guy yeah, sings yeah. in an American accent, yeah, you know, yeah. and you go, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. And then, like, the Arctic Monkeys came along, totally different genre, of course, and suddenly they're like, we're from Sheffield, and we're singing in our accents, because yeah. this is where we're from. It's funny you mentioned Connolly. Was Def Leppard from Sheffield? No, no, they're from... Um, Who was from Sheffield? Someone else was from Sheffield. Uh, I know where Def Leppard are from. Oh, they're Birmingham, aren't they? They're black country? I'm there's, a lot of, there's a lot of... Not Black Sabbaths, were they from Sheffield? You know, it's like a, a solitary world, a lot of it. Do you think so? Yeah, yo, yeah. Because you're, I mean, you're a this big This is the top. opposite of this. Like, this is nice to be sitting here, uh, you know, dead in the fringe. You know, it's the opposite. Literally the opposite. I spend my whole time trying to avoid people here. The rest of the time I'm trying to catch up with people going, you know, anybody hanging out, anybody. Yeah. So you just drive, do the gig on your own. So, and then deep within your thoughts. That's where all the trouble comes from. That's where all... We're all down and depressed. You spend too much time inside your own head, which is, you know, a scary neighbourhood. I did a really long blink there as if I was a psychologist. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I just caught myself doing a long blink going, you probably yeah. probably are after doing yeah, all of maybe, these. Yeah, maybe. Well, is that what, so are there, I mean, we I so touched on this earlier on, like the, the downsides of it. You There's a huge benefit to the freedom and the expression and just making people happy, obviously all of those sort of things. What, yeah. I, like, do you find that, the isolation? Is that a particular... I just wish I used my time a wee bit better, Stu. I, I really, you know, I've got a lot of downtime. I really, work, you know, I, I wish I, I was more advantageous of having that free time. We all wish we learned Chinese. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Away. Yeah, not Chinese. Spanish. Yeah, you could Spanish. do the Michelle Thomas Spanish course. I tried it. I did two of them. I, I did Michelle like, Thomas uh, did French. Did yeah, you? I'm still doing it. Yeah. Oh, very good. We can be you. You're using the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But not just not just the time. Then I mean, you mentioned just now. You said, you know, that's why we're all depressed. Are you secretly depressed? Are you? Do you have to face the black dog? You know. Yeah, I've had the black dog. Um, yeah, I think that's a human experience. Really, I don't think it's uh, something that's kind of. Uh, just for comics, I think everyone, you know, I'm just tr- I'm still. That's what I'm. I'm still figuring out. I'm still like trying to get a structure in the day. Trying, you know, sometimes when you're away from home, you don't have the structure. You uh, you, you you can get yourself in a, in a bad place. Oh, that's you know? uh, the, the hardest thing I find about comedy is the lack of routine. Yeah, for exercise, for happiness, for anything, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's just no routine. Yeah, a little bit of exercise goes a long way. You know, walk. or... I feel like, you know, you just got to be doing something. Like, I just call it a day. This is the worst thing about these flats and iPads. You could lie in the bed sideways and just watch a whole series. <laughs> and then just go, oh, God. Is this oh, the same as being alive? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've been swimming. So, yeah, I'll do something. I'll do something. I'll, I'll definitely, you know, I've got friends coming and uh, I've got family coming and I get a crowd coming to my gig and I'm thankful so, you know, these are all good things, aren't they? Does it always work? You're talking, you, no. it sounds like you don't. <laughs> Government, no. No, you can lose your way. Um, depends, you know, if you're really 
strike out to write as much new stuff as possible, then that can be a tricky night. And then that's always the first weekend because it's previews. So, and then, do you find the bit where you're trying to get from one bit to the next bit? It's the step from, when you're in the bit, that's fine. When you're doing that bit, that's all good because you know what the bit is. It's just making that step to the speed other wobble. bit. Yeah, it's a speed wobble, go, isn't it? You're yeah, like, yeah. I'm, I'm, I know what I'm doing on this yeah, yeah. snowboard going yeah, down. Yeah, I'm yeah. just going down. It's fine. Yeah. I've got to jump onto that one in a minute. And as soon as I'm on it, yeah, yeah. I'll be all right. Yeah, it's like a little trick. And you, once you've done it a few times, you know the transition. Um, it's in, even when you half trick, know yeah. the transition, you can <laughs> fake the confidence. And if you can fake the confidence, they stay with you. And then you actually have the confidence. Yeah. But I find one of the toughest things is I'm doing work in progress here at the festival. Right. So like, it's, I mean, it's great. There's no, I'm having the time of my life. There's no reviews. It's a small room, which I'm filling because it's small. And I'm just trying, I'm changing it every day. I'm writing for a couple of hours every morning and a couple of hours between zero and 120 minutes every morning. And, uh, but you make the effort. Yeah. I'm putting well, the effort good. In. And, and you're doing the stuff that you make the effort with. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. But, but I'm, I'm really finding, I'm trying to kind of hone that muscle, which is I'm standing on stage. I don't know what I'm saying next. I've got, an, I've got a half an idea for a thing and I'm going to stay in it until I get to the funny bit. And it doesn't always work, but the confidence to bring them with you yeah, yeah. brings them with you. I did um, uh, the Kilkenny, not Kilkenny, the thing in Dublin and Joe Rooney was on before me. Oh, he's great. And Joe did this, but he was coming here. And Joe, now I thought, you know, I've got 20 minutes. I'm just going to do nothing. But I'd really love to do something new. And then I just saw Joe doing something new. And then the look in his eye and that look of unconfidence. And then I just, I was going, oh, I love that vulnerability. I love seeing someone vulnerable. He goes, okay, can you stick this on? I've never done this before. Let's try this. And because he did that, I went, fuck it. I'm going to do as much new stuff tonight as I can. Because he gave me the balls to do it, you know. Like, oh yeah. man, the amount of gig, the amount of gigs I've driven to or travelled to, thinking I'm going to do this bit, I'm going to do that new bit. And then you get there, you go, oh, it's a bunch of real humans. Yeah. Oh, I'm not going to do that bit. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? That that's hard to do, isn't it? To go, yeah. oh, this is the reality of like the weight of their expectation. Well, you're going to build, and some, you know, you're you're on last, and these guys are fucking doing goal. They're doing back to back goal. You go, oh Jesus, I've got. It. I've got to close this out now, and and you know. But if you see someone on before you, and they're putting themselves, I used to love uh, tryout nights for that. I would, I would just see that nervous, raw energy, and just go, "Oh wow, this is this is this is what gets me up in the morning." Not, oh yeah, you know, I hate that cockiness because you go, "You've said this before. You know this line works. You're strutting around." I much prefer it when they're like. I don't know where it's gone. <laughs> I saw Milton Jones at Old Rope, you know, in London, Old Rope, which is like super, like brand new. The rule is it's brand new. Right. And I saw him do three gags that didn't land in a row and it changed my life. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, even you. you know? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Why do comics light up when they see other comics go on their own? I'm not just for work. I think it's just a sense of someone like Milton who is just, he just gets it do you know what I mean to yeah, go well, of course all oh lines. you're trying it out you're just yeah, yeah, yeah. trying a thing and it didn't work and then you're trying another thing and that didn't work and you right. see the light in the eye you go <laughs> Sean Locke he, he went out and did you know he came and he'd go out and just do clubs and do stuff and 
I was in a, a room at the Leicester Square and then Mickey Flanagan was on before me for a whole week and he was just coming off a sheet, just trying to shit out. And, and uh, you know, it was great. I don't know, it was good talking to him. Cause this is a conversation like sometimes you have with comics afterwards. And he said to me, you know, if you, if you don't use it, you lose it. You got, if you've got to really try and write, because if you stop that writing thing, then you feel that I can't write. Yeah. So, but if you just keep doing it and just realise, all right, I might get, you know, hit in the chin here with this guy, or I might trip and fall flat in the face with this guy, but fuck it, that's just what it is. Except that you're not going to always be looking great and confident. Then, then it'll take you. I'll take you to a good place eventually. To wrap up, then, what do you want next? Like, what what else do you want from comedy? Good do you question, Stu. Good, good, I have no idea. Ten more years of this. Twenty, twenty-five more years at the Edinburgh Festival. Mm. Touring, traveling all over the world. Like, is mm. there a point at which you go? Oh, I've probably done it. I don't know. That's life, isn't it? You just love to keep it going. I had a comic, uh, he had a book he lent me and he had written a 10-year plan on the back of the book and he died a year later. And that was the book, you know, Guns and Steel, it was about this world thing, but nothing meant anything apart from his little... He'd obviously been just sort of like scribbling, reading the book and all oh, got a 10-year plan. And then, you know, I always looked at that and went, fuck. You, you just don't know. You don't know. You would like to... Uh, uh, I think that thing of planning too far ahead can be something I've learned is not a good thing. Get away with it is good. Get well, Getting away with it. just want to get away with it. With four kids, I couldn't... I wouldn't have the time to become really famous or anything. I wouldn't just... Couldn't do it. I just... You know, I just like doing this at this level. That change in priorities is incredible. I remember before I had kids, I thought, if I have, I really wanted to have kids, but I knew, I thought, if I have kids, my priorities are going to completely change. Right. And I'm, I suppose I had some sense, not as, not like as real as the sense is once you have children, but I, I felt like I had some inkling that like, oh, what's important to me now isn't going to be as important to me. So I kind of resisted having kids. I was right. like, I want them, but I still, I want to want the things that I want. And then you have them. All I want to do is hang out with my kids now. Yeah, that's very true. Nice to have some sort of driving force in your day. So I don't really think beyond the day. Like if t- t- tomorrow I can get a reason to get up, then that's good enough. I'll just leave it there. Daily thing is just something to do. Because I don't have that. And then I think, sure, Nathan, I can lie in bed and feel bad about myself. <laughs> So that was Jamoan. What a joy. What an absolute pleasure to speak to him. Find him online and more importantly live. Don't miss the opportunity to see Jamoan wherever he be in the world. And it really is. It's genuinely an education. I laughed so hard uh, and I was there with a friend of mine in his early 60s and his son who was in his late teens. And all of us absolutely just wet ourselves laughing. 
at that show. So thank you to him. Thanks for listening. Uh, thank you to Nathan Wood. I'm remembering now that on the previous last week's episode with the Cagouls, I forgot to thank anybody. So let's doubly thank Nathan Wood for editing and producing the show. Uh, Rob Smouten for the music. Podcast consultant is Pete Dobbing. And Jake Crossland does the logs for me, which is uh, uh, a little celebrated but incredibly important job. So thanks, Jake. Um, that's all of that. I will post Amble at you in just a second after the noise that the horse makes. And uh, suffice to say, please come along and see the tour, comedianscomedian.com slash tour. If you are one of those people who's enjoyed this show and enjoys my ability to interview, enjoys this podcast as a, as a long-form thing, if this is part of your life, then uh, it is my constant duty to remind you I'm actually pretty good at stand-up as well. So come and see me live if you fancy it. Thanks to everyone who's been coming out to the tour and I hope to see you, yes, you, at one of those tour dates very soon. Bye for now. So uh, what will we post Amble about today? The builders are nearly finished. I don't know how much of this I've mentioned, but our house has been a building site since, well, since during Edinburgh. So the first two or three weeks of it, I didn't have to put up with it because I was at Edinburgh and it's been a building site since then and it's nearly finished. And I got to do the snagging list or snag list. Do you know about this? This is a very grown-up thing. I've never employed builders before and it's sort of arguably quite a big project. Um, But uh, what you do when you have builders is you go around making a list of all the little bits they've missed and something about that appeals to... The little part of me that should have been a church warden. I don't even know what a church warden does, do I mean? You know, the kind of, there's a, people often ask me in interviews, what would you do if you weren't a comic? And I often say policeman, because I like helping people and I bloody love interfering. <laughs> I say that with due respect to the police. But I am, I'm, I just have um, what I believe the Red Wharf book the Red Dwarf book uh, described on Rimmer as having a malformed public duty gland. I've got one of them. I like sticking my oar in, whether it's helping a little old lady across the road or walking around my house with a sort of mental clipboard, uh, not exactly tutting, but sort of smiling to myself, relishing the fact that I get to point out to someone who is more qualified in an area than me uh, that they have not done something properly. Oh, God, it appeals to a horrible little shady part of my personality to go around going, well, I'm going to make a pretty exhaustive snag list. And then it turns out, never having done one before, that you end up having to sort of negotiate the snag list and the uh, the smart builder will say things like, well, yes, I know, but we did that that bit, which wasn't in the quote, but we did it anyway because my guy went a bit haywire and did a better job than you'd asked for. And, uh, and then you have to negotiate the snags. I mean, I, I think for me, the, the, the funny bit of it is that um, the, the horrible little crawly bit of my personality, the, the sort of bit of me that naturally... Did you know I naturally grow a pencil moustache? If I don't shave for three days and have my photo taken, I look like I have a pencil moustache. And I think it's that little spiv part of me that likes to walk around going, yes, Mr. Bit. You, the, bit of you, the bit of you that naturally walks past someone painting something and goes... Missed a bit, and then makes a little mental note. That bit was truly exercised in a in a way that um, I'm going to make kind of mentioning for comic effect. It's a bit of my personality I'd rather you all didn't know about. But not only that, um, uh, you you get to. I think what's funny about it to me is that you get to sort of briefly enjoy 
the illusion of power. And then, of course, you go back. Because I think in the, in the having builders round process, one is completely powerless. You're constantly going, could you, would you mind? Um, oh, that seems odd that you've, oh, you've done it that way around, have you? Okay. Uh, it's quite a lot of that. And then you, you start with the stacking list. You start to claw back a little tiny bit of power. I said I wanted you to do it like that. Um, and then, of course, you send them the list. They fix everything. And then there's a load of stuff they go, that bit's not our responsibility, nor that, nor that. And those three things are extra. And you go, oh, yes, I don't have the power that I thought I did. I shall retreat now to my little middle-class house and go back to talking with my middle-class voice and not my builder's voice. But I tell you what, these guys, they took the fucking scaffolding down, right? So they're good guys. They didn't leave the scaffolding up until the scaffolders needed it at a job nearby, which is how scaffolders work, you scaffolders. Hey, here's a thought, um, talking about people with real jobs. It occurs to me, I, I want to grow this um, the podcast. I want to grow the listenership. Of course I do. It's not been my focus for a while. I've been tootling along quite happily, smashing out, frankly, if I say so myself, some pretty excellent episodes these last five or ten. Um, but uh, now it's kind of... The, the, the bit in the, the cycle has has kind of, we've cycled round to the bit where I go, hey man, ten times as many people could be enjoying this show. And I would like your suggestions, please, at ComComPod on Twitter or info at comedianscomedian.com, your suggestions, please, for cunning, oblique strategies with which I might grow the listenership. For example, I noticed that a lot of people who listen to this podcast and email me, not that anyone else listens besides you, the listener, um, but people often say to me, uh, I listen while I'm running, I listen while I'm driving my HGV, that kind of thing, So, or listening while driving. So every time I see like a diesel pump at the, at the petrol station, which has a advertiser here on the handle thing, I always think I should find out how much that costs because that'd be quite a cute place to put an advert for the podcast, wouldn't it? Um, does anyone have any strategies like that? Things where you go like, oh, you should put a, a classified ad in the back of... Is that what a classified is? Is that just in the papers? You should put a little print ad in the back of some sort of magazine for runners. And then I had the... Whilst I was having that cunning thought last night, I did think to myself, oh, well, probably that those inches require quite a lot of money because lots of people who have, you know, big like Nike, <laughs> they want to be advertising there. So you can probably sell that advertising space to your niche advertiser for quite a premium so maybe that doesn't work at all maybe it's a terrible idea but have you got any ideas any little idea do you know i had an idea for um a little kind of a giveaway those those things that you dangle on hotels when you're busy do you know I mean the um uh, don't make up my room i'm busy and then uh, a little tick box uh often the one the ibis in newcastle i was gigging there recently and they had a tick box of don't come in i'm doing yoga watching tv sleeping uh, but they did miss out the one tick box which probably would most often be ticked, um, as Carl found out to his cost. And you'll hear all about that when that episode comes out. But yeah, so something, something comcom you know, notebooks, pens, mugs, and so on. Be nice to make a little... Oh, this is two conversations. This is the let's get some more merch out in time for Christmas conversation. And, um, and there's also the your suggestions, please, for oblique strategies for marketing the podcast to precisely the sorts of people that would enjoy it. You enjoy it. There must be people here like you, not as good or intelligent or witty or, or, or beautiful or handsome as you, but there must be people who are into the stuff you're into. Where do you notice little sneaky ads and go, oh yeah, I'll, uh, I'll get into that thing? Because that's the stuff 
I need to know so that I can replicate you with less wonderful versions of yourself. Fair? Fair. Thank you. At ComComPod, info at comedianscomedian.com, and I might well start drop shipping some mugs for Christmas. Yeah, get that up, yeah. Speak to you soon.